Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's poppin' everybody? Hello and welcome to Popcorn Culture. My name is Ben Carlin and I am your host. Here with me today is my brother Jay, who will be in every episode. The other host. The other host. I'm not even... People call me. I'm not even going to acknowledge it this time. Jay, how are you this week? Far and wide am I known as the other host of this show. Far and wide. Near and narrow. (laughs) Near and narrow. Oh boy, Ben, I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Are you, are you healthy after all of our, our horrific Disney tragic? Not really. Uh, No? No. You're still I think I basically traded in the flu for a cold. Oh no. Yeah. I woke up this morning and it was, it was rough. I was like stumbling around. I might've been drunk. If you just watched me, I was sneezing and coughing just sort of like off the walls. I felt like just couldn't quite get it together. I had to, I returned to the gym for the first time today in about three weeks. Yeah. And I, we also recorded a J versus Ben with our younger brother, Tyler, this morning here at the office. And typically when we do that, we have to get here early because Tyler does it before he goes to work. Yes. So, uh, since I've moved, I now live further away from the gym and if I'm going to to get here on time it requires me to wake up early and get to the gym earlier and man i went to bed at like nine last night or something real early sure and i was still just defeated this morning absolutely defeated so oh defeated. this is no good no this is no good i hate to hear it that, that is the worst i i feel like i'm slowly like coming out of it i feel like my normal self i also made it back to the gym this morning though just for, for anybody who's counting at home yeah so i imagine somebody not literally, as early as me but. Not, well no you didn't tell me you were going early i didn't know it was a competition otherwise i would have lost <laughs> This is the great, this is the easiest way to win all competitions is to not let the other people know they're competing. <laughs> yeah, and then also just never bring it up and like li- go on living your life knowing that you are winning. Right. Um but nobody's feelings are ever hurt because of it. This that I feel like in a way, well I don't know if you watch the show Survivor ever. But one of the greatest players ever is a guy named uh, Russell. And I feel like that was sort of his mentality was that he was playing all these weird mind games with people where 
they didn't even really know that they were being subject to his game. But the fact that he knew he was winning those games gave him such power over everybody. Oh, interesting. It was really, really, I mean, I don't know if you have Survivor fans out there. I love Survivor. It's one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite active TV show. Fascinating. Yeah. Fasc- I, know you, I know that you and Beth are both big, big Survivor heads. Is there a term for Survivors, like fans of the TV show Survivor? Boy, you'd think so. I don't know if Survivor, Survivor head doesn't sound right. The campers? The campers. <laughs> Survive. I mean, Survivors would be the actual players. I don't know if there's a phrase for Survivor fans at large or like Survivor Nation or something. It seems like there should be. Let me tell you, the, I think it's the 40th season is coming up. That's so many seasons. It is so many seasons and I'm really excited for it because on season 40 of Survivor, which is still coming out and new, they will have all the contestants are ex-winners. No way! Your your face is like mock enthusiasm. No, right no. Now. It's, I, no it's, it's I can see it. Actual, no, it's, it's shocking me and all the people driving to work mm-hmm. who totally don't have spiders climbing out of their air vents, by the way. <laughs> Somebody did. No! Someone, someone tweeted me on Twitter and it like just so happened that they did have a spider on their windshield or something. Oh goodness gracious. And we have like ruined driving for them. Oh man. Or that's, I guess. That's not what I was going for but no no, no I was gonna say though that, that my mock enthusiasm that you interpreted is that was just me like at the same time as all other people listening were also like no way! Yeah. And like I said it like with them like we said it in unison like everybody else is also only by themselves so like they're just there they they didn't know everybody else said it but surely all around the world right now individuals at different times all at the same time said no way i bet they said it about 30 seconds earlier when i said survivor is still on the air (laughs) (laughs) no way no way no way that's how my son luke says no way he'll go no way but then he'll repeat it a bunch because everyone thinks it's hilarious it is hilarious yeah yeah i don't know i I agree i I have absolutely i'm I'm sure that you say it all the time but i said it around him for the first time then he said it after me and i I, i've i like to take credit for the idea that that i taught him no way but i doubt that i did that is a phenomenon that i have started to notice amongst family members or else other people who interact with your small child. Oh, is that this is so interesting. If it's um, if it's the first time they experience something with your child, and it is in response to something they did, they everyone and myself would be included desperately wants to take credit yes for having been the one who introduced this thing to the kid oh no absolutely i can tell you 100 percent that this is this is a sensation i've had with your son luke yeah where i'm like yeah that was me that was all me right there Mm -hmm. i totally Mm -hmm. i totally caught him i totally taught him the three two one run at you and then throw him in the air game (laughs) i think see even that one i like i'm gonna like i want to i want in on this i feel like you and i um we're both because this was outside of Splash Mountain. It was at okay. Disney World, right? Yeah. So I was part of that too. You were, you yeah, were there. I want credit. Yeah, yeah. See, even yeah. I need credit. Uh, no, of course, of this. course. But absolutely. I will even I will describe new things I observed Luke doing to Beth. And she'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I saw him do that last week. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, it's like a competition. It's it's not even intentionally a competition. I don't think anyone's really competing. Uh, but 
certainly people love to speak up and share whenever they think they are the influence. Like when they made an impact? Yeah. This is so funny though, because this is this is like the want to either introduce a friend to like a podcast or TV show that you right. like, like you're their entry point. Teaching somebody about a new favorite band and then them loving it yeah. is something people love. But maybe nothing more than anything else is introducing someone to their significant other. Ooh, that, that is, it's like, it's like, someone owes you a favor forever 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 and and like i feel like in movies and tv shows and stuff that is how it works it's like don't forget that time i introduced you to your wife exactly don't forget don't forget you still owe me for always because of that okay so let me back up a step one step down this ladder okay like introducing someone into a new fandom or something Okay, have you ever been in this scenario where either you have introduced a friend to something that they began to love, or you were introduced to it, but the end result was that the new person to the thing became the bigger fan? Oh, this has happened to me on multiple occasions, all with the same person. Oh, really? Yeah, but but not with a fandom, but like with hobbies and activities and stuff. Okay. Um. So my friend Steven, who was like my college roommate, he was one of my groomsmen. Yeah. We met like in, you know, sixth grade. Um. He is this person who I've like introduced to so many different hobbies. Like he is, I've always referred to him as kind of like a chameleon. Yeah. Because he'll just sort of like take on the interests of the people around him. But like when he gets into something, he gets into it. Mm-hmm. And so like, I like you introduced me to rock climbing. Right. But then I introduced Steven to rock climbing, who ultimately became the best rock climber out of all of us. Sure. Um, I got really into mountain biking and then got him into mountain biking and then he bought a better bike than me and then he ultimately ended up working at a bike shop and became a full-time bike commuter. And so like his whole entire, like, you know, he dove so far into it, but also with aquariums. You know, I was super into aquariums. Uh, He was graduating a year after me out of college because he switched majors and his first job out of college was, I was like, dude, come work with me and like, we'll be like, co-workers and it'll be so fun sure enough he did he got super into his own reef aquarium at home and before long his tank was way nicer than mine and i was like what gives man so steven sounds like the ultimate example of like the student becoming the master oh yes absolutely yeah and the the only solace i've ever been able to take in it is like oh but i had to go through all the learning curves on my own like you benefited from my learning curves i matt i pioneered this route and i told you where all the potholes were so of course it was easier for you exactly so it does it ever bother you when stuff like this happens when you've been like ousted of your own hobby or i think in the beginning it did Mm -hmm. it was the type of thing like especially because i think for so much of my life i have tied an enormous amount of my identity to my hobbies right like like those you know what when you ask people like oh like what do you do it's like when you meet somebody for the first time it's like oh this is my friend bill he's an engineer like you assign part of like such a huge part of their identity is their job yeah for me i feel like it was always like yeah I'm, i'm like into you know, like outdoorsy stuff. Like I, I like biking, kayaking, fishing, yeah. you know, like hiking, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, and so I think in the beginning, it was definitely one of those things where if it was something that brought me confidence, I am competitive enough that if someone that I'm super close with also got really good at it, then it like maybe kind of took away from my personal enjoyment of it because like I was no longer the best at it. Right. A- a- amongst my inner circle, at least. Like I've always been more than willing to accept that I am absolutely 100% not even the best at anything like in Roanoke. Sure. Let alone, you know, at large. At large. Um, 
but yeah, no, I think that that's, that is definitely something that has given me moments of pause where I'm like, who am I? What's <sighs> the, what is even the point? And I think this exact phenomenon happened when I started dating Alice. Oh, really? Where, like, her whole life, she has been this, like, diehard, diehard Harry Potter fan. Oh, like, yeah. She's mm-hmm. literally born on July 31st. Like, she shares a birthday with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Right. Um, like, she grew up with it just the same way that we did. You know, she would get the book. She would read them in the first day. Uh, but, like, when we first started talking, I remember she was, like, throwing her annual Harry Potter party. Like, which we weren't even close enough friends to where I would have, like, gone to that first party yet. Right. But that was, like, the type of thing that, like, one of the very first bits of information that I knew about who she was was that she threw an annual Harry Potter party. Like, this, is, this seems like a good sign. Yeah, right. Like, it's amazing. Um, but then the more that we dated, the more that she started, like, listening to me coming home and talking about video topics for Super Carlin Brothers, uh, the more she seemed to, like, shrink back little by little by little, where, like, all of a sudden, like, she didn't even want to, like, listen to the, the Harry Potter audiobooks with me or, like, she wouldn't want to, like, watch the movies with me or something. It was like, I literally took all of the identity that she attached to Harry Potter and because mine was just so because of my job right like so much like more prominent so much more relevant right I think that she just like forgot how to allow that to be something that made her unique but see so it sounds like and I I don't want to speak for your wife now or anything it sounds like she must have taken a certain amount of pride in that of all of her friends who were Harry Potter fans she was in her mind like the, the ringleader the ringleader the one who was throwing the parties the one who had read the books so many times little did she know you were just waiting around the corner like oh you think you know Harry Potter little did she know little did she know I've written papers on little did she know oh my gosh Stranger <laughs> the Fiction great movie oh, great movie if you haven't read or uh, if you haven't read it if you haven't seen it yes yes so no I, I, I think that that's I think that's exactly what happened and I've even talked to her about it and I think that like at first this realization was something that like I think deep down she she knew was true but like she had like a hard time ultimately yeah. like maybe coming to terms like this is what happened like so, right. something happened I started I started dating this guy who's super into Harry Potter and somehow I became less into Harry Potter as a result I, yeah that's very interesting Th- this very is interesting. this is going to be my question that I would like to throw out to to all listeners today is whether or or not you have ever had this happen where where your interests squashed someone else's interest right maybe, maybe squashed isn't the right word because that sounds like somewhat malicious where you were introduced to something by a friend and subsequently became a greater fan of that thing and ruined it for them right or alternatively or alternatively the other way around yes that you introduce something to one of your friends and then they took it so much further than you had ever thought to take it which is it's so weird because you would think that if you introduced someone to something and they got like on your level or even above you in terms of like how much they seemed to care about a thing or knew about a thing that you would just celebrate it together. You would think you would that, think. that is the exact expectation that I would have under all circumstances that like, but this happens all the time. Like where, um, I think even you and Beth have said it before where you guys will meet a friend from church or something. And you'd be like, Oh my gosh, Ben, you would love him. Like he's super into mountain biking, loves rock climbing. And I'm like, I don't want to be friends with me. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, the last thing I need is another me in my life. I'm enough me. <laughs> That's it's such a weird, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is such a weird thing because there are, 
are certainly personality types out there who like when they meet someone similar to them it's the best thing ever and and vice versa where if you meet some where there are people who if you meet someone who has too many of your shared interests you don't want that at all because all of a sudden you don't stand out as much exactly exactly yeah. and and i think so much of that is this like like just sort of sense of individualism that mm-hmm. we have like in in today's society is sort of like who you are as a unique snowflake is so important um but maybe it's something that we need to like overcome well i just watched over the weekend on your recommendation a movie called blinded by the light yes yes which uh if you're unfamiliar with it or maybe you i'm sure you saw the previews but it is a movie that takes place in the late 80s in uh like luton in england which England it takes place in the late 80s in England and it follows a Pakistani uh teenager I would say small town England small town it must be what it is it's like the type of town where like everyone might work at like a like a factory or something like that like it seems like that's where his dad worked right it's where his dad worked and he's feeling very frustrated with the culture of his heritage and his family because he is Pakistani and he wants to escape small town England yes and his avenue out, the thing that gives him so much life is when a new friend introduces him to the music of Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And I, the whole movie, I like. I don't think I could place it until just about now. Him and, him and his friend just like geek out over Springsteen the whole time. Yes. And the whole time, part of me is like, man, if I was that friend, I'd be kind of annoyed that it seems like this new guy is like swooping in on my thing. Swooping on my But they are not. They they just love it together the whole time. Yeah, if anything, it amplifies. It amplifies it, which is how it should work. It is. It is. I I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I think it's... It's interesting that this conversation topic has come up because I think that was something that was floating in the back of my mind as I was watching the movie where I couldn't couldn't quite place it. Sure. Because it seemed like, maybe, and I'm sure it's just part of the movie, but the new friend who's just learning about Springsteen seems like he's suddenly the ringleader of the group of friends. Who are, yes. Who are all now Springsteen fans, but he was not the one, but he was introduced to Springsteen by someone else in the group. Right, and, and sort of hesitantly takes a listen after like the tapes fall out of his jacket. Right. When he gets home. Like, it's it's not even like he immediately takes to it. So anyway, if you've ever had an experience like this with one of your friends, I want to know your whole story. Uh, You can email us at popcornculturepod at gmail.com, which, by the way, we got tons of feedback on our on our Disney magic versus Disney tragic. Yes, we did. Conversation uh, from last week's episode, which thank you guys so much. We were inundated uh, with emails from people reaching out and telling us their stories, which, by the way, is the most heartwarming thing ever. Or heartbreaking. Or heartbreaking. But the fascinating thing, even about the heartbreaking stories, was that, like, very few of them were the circumstances where, like, Disney parks or cast members uh, were the reason or at fault. It was, like, almost under all circumstances, an outside situation that, that like, unfortunately... Right, like what like, insurance companies would call an act of God. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or something that just, like, prevented them from getting there or or cease their enjoyment mm-hmm. you know of of the of the experience um one of the the stories that somebody told that i thought was was like so i i, I felt for them so bad uh but it was so simple was that they were out in california for disneyland and they had rented a car and the uh the morning that they were going like to you know get in the car to go out to disneyland right it was gone the car was gone the car was gone <laughs> someone stole their rental car someone stole their no. rental car and so 
now all of a sudden, you know, it's like they, they like walk out the door, you know, it's like six o'clock in the morning. They're like ready to go hit the parks and their car is gone. And like they have the keys. And so, you know, like they, they say in their email that they're like, you know, looking for uh, a sign that like it had been towed. Like, you know, we were staying, you know, like uh, on like a property that we're not familiar with. Maybe this was like not a, a parking zone or something. And then, right. like, the car was taken away. Uh, no indication of anything like that. And so like, what is going on? So they ultimately have to, you know, like go and report it. They have to go and find a way to, you know, like do the police report. They have to get to the airport. They have oh. to do all these things. Oh. And and before long, you know, you're, you're talking about like hours where all the companies involved were cooperative and they understand like they obviously still have the keys, you know, like they were, right. they were upgraded cars even. Sure. Um, but unfortunately, like their, their Disney experience was completely slashed by the fact that their rental car was stolen. Oh, I can't tell you how frustrating <clears throat> that would be. Although it does. I don't know if we've even told this story on the pop already. It reminds me of the time where uh, you and I were going to Disney and Beth and I were flying and you were driving and we got down there and it wasn't that our our hotel room was stolen i'm not sure that can happen it <laughs> yeah, was just that that would be an odd problem it was just that it had actually been booked for the night before oh. through a total clerical error on on, a, on your end on my part yeah. yeah boy that what a i feel like i don't think i've ever had such dis, i don't know that seems like your worst disney tragic that, uh, i don't know well i think that that probably would have to be up there there was that whole trip was strange and I think it was such a huge indicator that like Alice was like the person that I was meant to be with um, because things went wrong constantly throughout the entirety of the trip and it was just like it like you, you just kind of like were on the ground like crying and like the world kept kicking you uh, and except you're in this magical place where everything is perfect and you're, <laughs> you're smiling anyway with your Mickey ears on um, you know <clears throat> eating your churro uh, but yeah, no, that was that was pretty bad. We were driving down with the camper. It was like the first uh, like real major trip that I had taken it on and decided that a, a 14 hour journey by car was the best way to best way to do it. And I don't know if you've ever pulled anything before, but pulling a, you know, 7000 pound trailer is exhausting. <sighs> Um, so anyway, I was just exhausted. We had booked two nights because we we planned for it to take us two full nights to to get down to Disney World. And I think what had happened was I booked the hotel room for the first night, you know, like Thursday night, the 18th or whatever. And then I'm going to book the Friday night one. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I need Thursday night, the 18th. So I just happened to book the same one twice. But even once we were down there, I locked my keys inside the camper right oh like like which shouldn't be possible it shouldn't be possible because the only way that a camper can lock is from the outside with the key right so it's like i, I was so adamantly convinced you know and like this is you know you're out there like i've already been kind of stressed out because of this camper and stuff and we go to open the door and ali and i are both standing out there and we're like it's locked and I was so sure that this that this could not happen that my actual primary concern was somebody was in my camper. Right. Like I was like that is what has to have happened. But you still don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened. Maybe the guy's still in there. <laughs> like <laughs> you have a, you have a live-in. Can you in imagine? I cannot. Oh. I cannot because it's been like over a year now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been some time. And you've used it again. Yep, certainly. And certainly you got back in the camper. Yep. So I don't think anyone's living it. Okay, okay, good yeah. to know. I'll, Thank uh, you for that assurance. Let's clear your conscience there for you. Hopefully, my goodness, 
Man, Disney tragic. Popcorn culture is supported by Arena Club. Okay, so you guys know that I love trading card games and that me and Ben are big time collectors of Pokemon cards. You know, it's that childhood fantasy of finally being able to use adult money to buy those highly coveted rares of our youth. And like, even in our office, we have not one, but two full display cases with some of our all time favorite rarest cards that we've pulled. But something I did not know existed when I was a kid in my youth was the grading process for trading cards or sports cards or whatever you're collecting. You know, to me, it was just like a rare Charizard is a rare Charizard. Like it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's been hanging out in my pocket with my lucky paper clip. Turns out it does matter and kind of a lot because if you get your cards professionally graded, it can add huge value. And then not only that, but once they're graded, they will like seal them in that pristine condition inside of a plastic case or what's known in the industry as a slab. And that's where Arena Club steps in because it's like buying a booster pack, but it's for a pre-graded card. Now, I know that can take like maybe a second to wrap your head around because you're opening physical cards on a digital platform, which means you open the pack online and see your polls where they can be added to your showroom for the world to see. But you can also request them to be sent to you at any time. So they have got a ton of pre graded cards and then you will get to randomly open one and then they'll keep it for you or they can send it to you or you can just like sell it or trade it online or whatever you want to do. But whether you're buying, selling, trading or or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have got to check out. And right now you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash pop pop, which wow, that is a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's like $40 right there. Anyway, that's arenaclub.com slash pop pop for 10% off your first purchase. Popcorn Culture is sponsored by Shopify. Y'all are likely aware of the fact that we have our very own Shopify store, Carlin Brothers Mercantile, and it's hard to imagine not having it now, but arriving at the decision to open our own web store was a big one. In fact, we started our journey on the interweb back in 2012 and didn't finally open up shop until 2018. And a huge part of that is just not knowing where to start, but that's where Shopify steps in. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, which is a fancy way of saying it's a really easy and effective way to start an online business, no matter if you're operating out of your garage or have like a whole building or three or something. Once we were set up, our biggest concern was trying a new product only to discover no one was interested in it. But Shopify is powered with so many reports, more than you can even imagine. And this is so handy because it allows us to use data to better provide what folks are actually interested in. It's so easy to use, but even if you do find yourself caught in a jam, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash pop pop. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash pop pop now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash pop pop. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, okay, speaking of, of tragedies, uh, I think we have some Academy Award things we need to talk about. I see you've put some Academy Award stuff into the uh, to the, the notes for today. Yeah, just just hard left turn into the Academy Award. Hard left turn. Uh, the tragedy I want to talk about right out of the gate is that on the Best Animated Features nominees, one Frozen 2 was not even nominated. Oh, I don't understand. An abominable snowman if I've ever heard one. Yeah, but seriously. Um, so tell me more about how you feel about this. Because to me, so I haven't I haven't seen everything. Um, things that I did see on there that I thought were that should be on there is How to Train Your Dragon Three, sure, uh, great movie. Klaus, yes. which was like I would have lobbied for so hard. I one hundred percent think needs to win. Yeah. Um, Toy Story Four. Yep. Um, and then there are I believe two Netflix movies. There are I don't I haven't seen either of these other two. One's called I Lost My Body, and one's called Missing Link. Oh, Missing Link is actually the one about, um, I think it's like a claymation style movie. It, it almost in the style of like Chicken Run. Oh, 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 um, oh, yes, yes. Was That a, that wasn't a Netflix movie though. I don't think that one was. Okay. That one, I think was just a mainstream movie. Okay. Um, so to me, I don't know enough about Missing Link uh, or what was the other one called? I'm sorry. Uh, I Lost My Body. I Lost My Body. So I, I, can't, I can't speak for those. To me, I think the weakness or the weak point out of everything else that I have seen has got to be Toy Story 4. So my argument for the, the purposes of our conversation not having seen two of these movies is does Toy Story 4, should Toy Story 4 win out over Frozen 2? Go. No, it shouldn't. Um, I don't, the thing is, I'm with you. Of these movies, I've only seen, I've, I really, I think Klaus should win either way, even if Frozen 2 was nominated because Klaus was awesome. Kla and I Kla okay, I think Klaus is amazing for a variety of reasons. For one, it's not a sequel. Right. Um, which I think, like, immediately just, I think, gives me a little bit more. It is a remarkably original story. I would say, because... For with, a Christmas movie. Yes. No less. Yes. Which is, like, to me, I think, in, in the way in which they developed what felt like a completely brand new Christmas story that does not feel ridiculous. Yeah. Like the way that they come to the conclusions, the way that they like established all of the different rituals that ultimately became the Christmas as we know it with Santa Claus coming down the chimney and leaving a, a toy under the tree. Like the whole thing, how a postman effectively invented Christmas. Right. Is, I don't know. I, I love the movie. I have watched it. It is one of the, the few movies that I saw in 2019 where I saw it and was like, I can't wait to watch it again. Oh. Like, and, and I have then since watched it at least, I have watched it at least three times, if not four. Wow. Yeah. Have you watched it since Christmas? 
I have. Wow. I have watched it after Christmas. Man, so Klaus has got a big vote for you. Yes. And I yeah. would say I agree with everything you said. I thought Klaus was awesome. If you haven't seen it on Netflix, check it out. <clears throat> but, um, and so I still think it should win. I still think it was better than Frozen 2. But it is blowing my mind that Frozen 2 didn't get nominated for animated feature. And I just want to complain about it here on the pop. <laughs> because I want to say last year or maybe the year before, but like Boss Baby got nominated for Best Feature. No, it didn't. Well, yeah. Like, I'm sorry. No. No. The Secret Life of Pets didn't, se- though, did it? Uh, not, I think it, it might have. Hold on. Hold on. Hold I have on. to see if The Secret Life of Pets... <sighs> uh, because The Secret Life of Pets is my version. Like, you you don't like Minions at all. No. Um, not really. And... Okay. I'm not seeing anything for The Secret Life of Pets, which is perfect, in my opinion, because I genuinely think that... Well, I, I I think that me and you both have, like, animated movies that frustrate us. Yeah. That, like, are our baseline for, like, movie that we disagree with on their... on their at their core. Uh, and I know for you, it's... it's I don't even think it's Despicable Me, because I feel like you like Despicable no, Me. I like Despicable Me. Despicable Me is great, because... And, God, it's... Uh, Illumination has done the thing... That Illumination is the studio that produces Despicable Me. Yes. And The Secret Life of Pets, for what it's worth. Um, but they have totally done the thing where the minions were like an adorable section of Despicable Me. And they have let the minions take over. Yes. They have like, oh, they have done like the, the Cars 2 thing where they gave Mater his own movie. But instead, they have just let the minions take over to the point where it's just, it's it's like minion mania. And it they're so annoying. And it's like, yeah, they were funny in Despicable Me. But like, let them be the little side characters it's, that are adorable and put them on the marketing or whatever. Do not let them be the main thing. Like, Gru has to be the main thing or the minions are not... They don't stand on their own. Sure, That's where sure. I'm at. Well, and, and this is this would be like... Um, like, Olaf, I think, is in the exact same position mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, Olaf shows up pretty far into the original Frozen. Like, it's, I think you're 40 minutes into the movie before he's even introduced at all. Well, they introduce him very briefly when Anna and Elsa are little girls. And they're like, sure. Olaf, Olaf, warm hugs. Of course, yes. That's yeah. a great moment, though. It is, it is. But see, that's that's one of those little tiny nuggets you need so that when Olaf shows up later, you're like, oh, from when they were kids. Oh, yeah, 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 so that's, that's exactly how, and, and then I think in Frozen 2, I was very, very, very worried that they were going to have Olaf off, go over the top and no. be like and be like to center stage and they didn't and Olaf was great and amazing and like he totally in my opinion was like one of the best parts of Frozen 2 other than the music which is so spectacular mm-hmm. it's not even funny but they were nominated for best original song they were with um into the unknown into the unknown into the unknown what's, okay okay what's baffling to me though <laughs> about Frozen 2's snub is like when you have things like Boss Baby getting in to this category, is that the original Frozen, when it came out in 2013, was was nominated for an Oscar and not for Best Animated Feature, just for straight up Best Film. Frozen was nominated Frozen, for Best Film. Yes, Frozen was nominated just for straight up Best Film, not Best Animated. Okay. And somehow... Frozen 2, which has upped the anime... Like, I don't know what they're voting on for best animation in the Oscars department. If they're voting on, like, the quality of the animation or the overall, like, uh, story of the movie. It's it's so weird with animation because anything is possible with animation. So what are you... What are you judging it on to make it in? I think it's the whole film... 
as a movie, as a story, as everything that goes into it, and, and probably not as much the pixels, because it is best animated feature, mm-hmm. um, which to me is different from the Academy Award for best animation. Which there should almost always be. There should almost also be. Yes. Okay. I think that is the best argument is that there, 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 yes, there needs to be a, a category for just best animation period. Right. Because I do think that that's a huge category that gets blown wide open, you know, like, Uh, cause there, there are so many different areas where, where that can be achieved. Um, but even that as a whole, so like sort of going back to to Frozen uh, being nominated for Best Picture, one of the big conversations that like I teeter on all the time, and, and I have no idea, I was like fearful that this would be like a controversial question to put out there, but it's sort of the topic of should there be an Academy Award for like blockbuster style films mm. that maybe don't fall into that category of like best film. Like Avengers Endgame was a worldwide like phenomenon right um and you know surpassed avatar which also true uh but also won many academy awards james cameron's avatar that is that is what was previously holding the title for most you know most um, successful at the box office most successful at box office yes exactly um and so my question is should there be a space four movies like Avengers Endgame um, where you're talking about like super, super mass appeal films that that don't net like typically at best. I feel like films like that end up in like best editing or um, best uh, sound effects mm. or something like that. You know, Avengers like Endgame is nominated for one Academy Award right now for the upcoming uh, award show, and it is in visual effects. Visual effects. Okay. Yep. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I don't know how I feel about the idea of such a movie that made such an impact on, on you know, the, the planet in that, you know, roughly 280 million people went to see it. Right. Um, like, what, what does that say for its mark in cinematic history as it pertains to what I believe most people to consider the highest honor you can receive uh, in in trophy form. Meaning the Academy Awards. Meaning the Academy Awards. So yeah, like, uh, it sounds like your question boiled down is, is it a problem that the most successful box office movie of all time is not even a nominee for best picture of the year it came out in? Yes. Yeah. Correct. It's an it is it is unusual because it seems like uh, historically, perhaps maybe back around like the 90s or early 2000s, that very often the most successful movies were also the most critically acclaimed movies. Yes. And it seems like maybe the relationship was very parallel at one time where because movies were well critically received, people went and saw them more. Right. Right, which makes sense. Whereas you've almost reached... A like new um, I don't know era of movies where the critical reception and the audience reception has deviated so much to the point where it feels like critics almost don't want the most successful movies to be critically the best at the same time. Right, you right, know? yeah. Like, 
like financial success hurts your critical receptiveness right and i think that like when it boils down to it it's like since 2010 which is not that long a period of time but no movie that has won the the award best picture has been a top 10 movie at the box office Mm -hmm. and and i'm not saying that that is a a problem or a crime or or absolutely anything of the sort Mm -hmm. you know i do think there's something to be said for the idea that like when you're watching the academy awards like i know for me this year i saw the the nominations for best picture and i talked to alice and i'm like i want to see all of them right so that like when we're inevitably watching the oscars i can actually like care yeah if that makes sense yeah um because i do think that that frequently happens to me where it's like i really want to watch the oscars because it's like you know this big thing and we we talk about movies for a living you know it's 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 relevant to our lives um but frequently i've seen so few of the movies that are up for contention yeah that I, i i feel almost a little left out i feel like that must and i don't know maybe this is just us but i would feel that that's probably a very shared frustration amongst the like um the general public is that the oscars is like it or not the like most prestigious award in film and it's probably the most watched award show of all of them absolutely period and like what wins feels like it matters a little bit more but it can be very frustrating to watch because so often as you're watching like maybe not only have you not seen all of the movies but there are years where i feel like I haven't even heard of half of the nominations. Right. All of a sudden. And you just feel, well, yeah, kind of like left out. Like, the, these these are movies. Like, movies tend to, like, define pop culture. And as someone who sees a lot of movies, you would think you would be able to watch with some amount of understanding. Right. Like, and I think what it comes down to, and I'm sure that this is not that, like, the case at all, and it's it's more of a Ben problem than than a than a world problem, but, like, I frequently feel like I'm, like, I'm maybe not smart enough to enjoy the Academy Awards. Mm. Like, like, my, because I, maybe because I go and watch blockbuster movies uh, as, like, my, my primary, you know, means of, of theater consumption uh-huh. opposed to what I might, like, rent once it's you know available um yeah so i i don't know like i i frequently feel like you know like i I, i'm like watching so many more artistic and talented intelligent people who understand why these movies that that didn't make it in front of my eyes are so spectacular right and so the the big question for me truly at the end of the day is is not so much my my own personal complex but even just should there be a category that is specifically for movies like that to to even maybe allow the the people like us in the world that like you know that is our favorite kind of movie and and objectively shared by lots of other people in that these movies tend to make a lot more money at the box office right and i mean it there's so many layers to the question because you have to suddenly define what it means to be a blockbuster movie and that's that you know does that come down to like the amount of dollars spent to produce the movie or to market the movie or something like that. And if, you know, whatever arbitrary number you decide for this, like if you decide, okay, a blockbuster movie is anything that costs more than $100 million to to make, then inevitably what you're going to get is the category of movies that have spent $1 less. Oh, sure. You know, because, because like winning the Oscars is not as simple as just you put the movie in theaters and then people voted right you know like there's a lot of prestige and i want to say money that comes along with winning and like the even just the the process of marketing your movie specifically to the academy involves 
throwing lots of parties and trying to garner votes and like the the campaigning for your movie just to win like there's so much money that goes into that sure you know so it's it's a it's a whole it's a whole wrong out thing and, and maybe that's yeah. even where people w would argue that the politics of everything ruins it inevitably and that there's there's right. too much of a committee problem um i think we were talking to even scott before we we popped in here to record this episode and he was saying that he thinks like part of the problem is that um i, I don't even know if this is the terminology he would use i'm going to paraphrase scott as to not put words in his mouth but safer movies might ultimately end up winning because there might be um some polarization that happens where people feel super passionately that this movie is either the best or the worst right so like uh movies that people have like much 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 stronger feelings about end up canceling each other out whereas movies that end up maybe having like a generally more acceptable uh message to all voting members right will, will kind of emerge to the top so maybe it's nobody's best but it was like third place for everyone but movies that were people's ones and twos might be all other people's you know nines and tens right and so as a result they both get pulled out of the running and mm -hmm. that third place movie that that like dodged all the you know extraneous fire right sort of floats right to the surface so yeah. even then you have to wonder like does the movie that win does the movie that wins ever feel like like is the general consensus ever everybody being like yeah that's exactly what should have won Right. Like, that movie deserved. Well, I don't think if you're holding out for universal popularity in I am, the Jay. choice. I'm you holding are, out for you. you want, I want I want it to be like a movie is so I want to watch that movie. Right. The movie that is so good that everyone agrees that it needed to win. Okay, so when you I feel like that movie's already happened, first of all. Um like if you look at the complete list of every best picture Oscar winner ever, are there any where you and I don't know, maybe you haven't looked at it, where you think, yeah, obviously. Because to me, the the movie, there are a few. The 90s, I feel like, was really good. I feel like was the, the peak time for uh, the movie being critically popular and also uh, commercially popular, where everyone must have just straight up agreed this is what should have won. Okay. But to me, the ultimate representation of everyone agreed this should have won, it's an awesome movie, is Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump! Forrest Gump! It should have won. 1995. I don't think, I don't know what the other nominees were that year, but I can hardly believe anyone would have thought anything except Forrest Gump could have even won. Yep. No, I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Also, I would bet 1998's winner, Titanic, went unscathed in the first place. Pe people not being people not being upset about that one. I don't think anyone was upset. I would bet very few people were upset by Forrest Gump or Titanic winning the Oscars. Okay, what, year, their did, respective what year did Jurassic Park come out? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What would Jurassic Park have been up against? Oh, okay. So it lost to Schindler's List. Okay. okay so mm -hmm. I would argue Schindler's List is amazing and that deserved to win. But it, like that is such a situation where Jurassic Park is so screwed because it was up against so, like the, such a strong candidate to beat it. Right. But, like probably would have won the year prior. The what year won, after it would have lost to Forrest Gump. What so. won before Schindler's List? Unforgiven. I never heard of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, you're right. Jurassic Park 
fun dinosaur movie about things going wrong in a theme park really n- stood no chance against super important movie about the Holocaust. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I understand why it wouldn't have won there. Um, but, oh yeah, I don't know. It's it's so good. I, that's I, It's so funny to me that that's even the movie that I was like, I need to see who it lost to. Right. Because I, I couldn't even told you 100% fact that it was nominated, but I was also like, who did it lose to? Mm-hmm. So somewhere in my brain space, it must have known that no matter what, uh, it was in the contention. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving on from that, though, you were talking a little bit about sort of the um, like all the lobbying and everything that goes into making an Academy Award happen, all the parties and all that. Do you want to know what's kind of fascinating about the statue itself? What is that? It is only worth one dollar. The statue is only worth one dollar. The golden statue is only worth one dollar. Well, that doesn't sound. That sounds like there must be something to it Ask because it's question. made of gold. Ask me the. It's okay. <laughs> is hold it made, on. Okay. I, first of all, is it made of gold? Because I feel like that much gold is worth more than a dollar. My my Google search says that the statuettes are solid bronze and plated in 24 karat gold. Okay, that much bronze seems like it's worth more than a dollar though. Sure, due to a metal shortage during World War II, Oscars were made of painted plaster for three years. Mm. Following the war, the Academy in, uh, invited recipients to redeem their plaster figures for gold-plated metal ones. Um, so a little bit of uh, history there going ah, back to the ah. 1940s. How about that? Huh. Nice. Okay, so the reason why Oscars are only worth one dollar is because one of the like rules when you are like signing up for being nominated for an oscar is that if you win it and you decide you do not want your statue anymore you are signing that you will give the academy the right to purchase it from you for one dollar first first okay and so under any and all circumstances mostly uh there would not be a circumstance where the academy would go back on this incredibly strict rule that they have created so Um, i wonder what the rules are if you accept it and then you die and bequeath the statue onto someone else and then can they sell it or are they still obligated they are still bound wow it literally says this also applies to family members who inherit oscars from relatives who have died okay so now here's the question then because you could say that makes it worth a dollar but what is the fine for not selling it to the academy oh well that's the thing though is that you you can't literally somebody tried to sell it back in 1989 and the academy stepped in and took their statue back and they won the lawsuit interesting yes interesting um so i did read of one occasion pre-1950 uh where someone had won the award and i believe in 1950 circa is when they they created the stipulation uh there was one situation where a guy had won the academy award for i think like best actor or something and um his wife got desperately ill Mm -hmm. and he ultimately later ended up selling his award to like raise the medical funds and there was some question as to whether or not he could do that and he basically declared up and down left right sideways you know whatever that he never signed anything agreeing to that so even though the rule existed after he had done it there i think there have been two occasions where academy awards have been successfully sold man i wonder Um, how much you got for it i believe it was about a hundred thousand dollars in modern day money okay and then another one was sold for as much as in modern day money approximately one million dollars interesting yes Um, so that's, that's kind of crazy. Uh, the other thing that I thought was sort of fascinating, um, about the Oscar statue is 
that he is holding a crusader's sword. So the, the guy standing there is actually holding a sword, which okay. is something I had never specifically noticed before. Um, and he's standing on a reel of film with five spokes, signifying the original branches of the academies, actors, directors, producers, technicians, and writers. Ah, there you which go. Which is kind of interesting, Those right? are like the original five awards? Um, I don't know if those are the... I don't think... I think even on the original Academy Awards, there were 16 or 17 statues that were handed out. Okay. Um, but there was also... The other kind of fascinating thing about it is like we always use the terms the Academy Awards and the Oscars sort of like interchangeably. Right. Why is it called the Oscars? I have no idea. Okay, well, I have the answer. Oh, great. I set you up so nicely. You did. Thank you for that. Um, actually, it sounds like it's a rather contested thing, but the uh, what Wikipedia was was basically saying as the, the more commonly accepted version of this story um, is that a woman by the name of Margaret Herrick, uh, who was the executive secretary for the Academy, said that when she first saw the award in 1931, that the statuette reminded her of her uncle Oscar. And that's it. Yeah, that's how. That's why they're called the Oscars. It literally, it was a nickname for her actual cousin, Oscar Pierce. This that seems so weird to me that the Academy would allow the name to stick. Oh, I know that they wouldn't be like forcing at the very least because it's on whatever network it's on. I think it's on ABC most of the time. I don't know. Whatever network it's on, it seems to me that if I was the Academy Awards, I would demand that all of the reporters and all of the on-air talent refer to it only as the Academy Awards. Right, instead of like, calling it the Oscars. the Oscars. So at this point, to me, the fact that they don't do that, because I feel quite certain that if you turn on, they'll talk about the Oscars. Even the nominees, even the people, the presenters would be like, and the Oscar goes to... Oh yeah, you know, like, no, they'll this, call it that. It has become ubiquitous, right? As as a as a one hundred percent accepted term. I would I would I am curious to know if they own like some sort of trademark on it over the name over the name. Now. I'm sure that they do now. Um, what I thought was more interesting, so even if we want to to question the legitimacy of this particular anecdote, is that one way or another, the best explanations that were at least on the Wikipedia article were entirely anecdotal. Oh. So uh, it's like, if it's not this one, it's another person who said it looked like an Oscar. Gotcha. Of, of some type. Like, it was, it was not some type of, like, profound, like, O-S-C-A-R doesn't stand for outstanding source of charismatic actor rhubarb <laughs> rhubarb is like celery but red <laughs> and somehow it's made into pies i've never understood how like celery pie to me seems like the most horrifyingly upsetting idea I th- ever i think rhubarb probably has a little more flavor than celery okay but it looks the same only red well i don't know what to tell you I think it's more of a more of a European thing than an American thing. Maybe. I guess oranges also look like grapefruits and they don't taste the same either. They sure don't. Oranges greater than grapefruits. No question about it, Ben. Okay. Grapefruits are the worst fruits. <laughs> Strong opinions about things that don't matter. Grapefruit. I have so many. I have many opinions. First of all, it's like, it feels like it's so badly grapes, like high school bully. It's like, oh, hey, grape. I'm grapefruit. You're a fruit who's a grape. I'm grapefruit. <laughs> so, so you find grapefruit as as a uh, as an entity. To, Look, to... big grapefruit <laughs> couldn't come up with its own name, like, and it was like, oh, how did it get called grapefruit when like, grapes exist? Or, and not like sour orange, and not like, and not like. 
terrible tasting orange or pink on the inside or something. <laughs> An equally creative name for grapefruit. Grapefruit as a name makes as much sense as why the Oscars are called Oscars. Right. Like, I wish, man, just call, even if I was grapes, I would just call myself, I don't know, like wine fruit or something. Wine fruit sounds fun. Wine fruit sounds fun, but it does not sound as sweet as a grape tastes. That's true. That's true. No. Grapefruit needs a whole new name. Cra I want people, okay, we're going to come up with a new name for grapefruit because it has stepped on grape for far too long. It, it has basically turned grape into wine. <laughs> At this point. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Grapefruit. Maybe I wonder if that's it. If people were like, people love grapes. You turn grapes into wine. We'll just call this grapefruit and people will get it confused. Except they can't get it. Oh, it's just gosh. Grapefruits. First of all, their name is stupid. And second of all, they taste terrible. Hold on. What is the origin of grapefruit? I'm looking this the up name. right now. The name. Let's just see. I'm I, I'm reading blind right now. This is me not even knowing where I'm where I'm going. We don't know where this is going. Grapefruit is a citrus hybrid originating in Barbados as an accidental cross between two introduced species. To the surprise of no one, grapefruits were an accident. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet Orange and Pomelo, or Shattuck, uh, both of which were introduced from Asia in the 17th century. When found, it was nicknamed the Forbidden Fruit. The Forbidden Fruit? That's that's already apple, okay? The, anyway. The, for, the Forbidden Fruit. The Forbidden Fruit is already an apple. So this is, now it's going into like grape apple fruit. Anyway. Go on. Let's see here. I'm trying to see. I want to know why it's actually called, uh, like, grapefruit. The name grapefruit seems to originate with the way that, unlike normal citrus, the fruits of this tree grow in clusters, vaguely reminiscent of bunches of grapes. Yeah, but that doesn't... That's no reason to call it grapefruit. It's not Grapes helpful. are already fruits. Okay. It doesn't sell me on the name at all yeah but that is better than i expected it, i will give it better than expected but it's no excuse it's first of all a combination of an orange and a pomelo that was already tried to steal apple's glory as the forbidden fruit and instead is now stepping all over the fruit grape because it grows in the same way like it's even the fact that it's because it grows in the same way it's named after a different fruit like ugh, it just Mm, gosh, it doesn't even taste good, Ben. It doesn't even, it doesn't even taste, taste good. good. Has someone ever given you just like a glass of grapefruit juice? Yes. Yeah, they and, have. You, and you're like, huh, well, the fruit's terrible, but maybe as a juice. <laughs> the fruit, as a rule, obviously terrible. Maybe as a juice, they've done something to make it. And you sip it, and you're like, oh, you know what this tastes like? Grapefruits. <laughs> So, okay, what would your relationship be then with, with wine, which is made from grapes, but of course does not taste like grapes? Yeah, wine's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't, okay. So your, your issue with grapefruit is that it tastes exactly like it's... My issue, with grape, my issue with grapefruit juice is that it tastes like grapefruits. And my issue with grapefruits is that it tastes like grapefruits. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, people, people are going to argue tooth and nail that grapefruits taste good and let me just tell you right now no they don't no they don't if you're look maybe if you're putting sugar on them they're acceptable in some capacity but let me tell you what you're actually tasting there is sugar and sugar is of course amazing do you want to know what doesn't need sugar added to it to make it everybody's favorite grapes reese's reese oh hard ben's pivoting me away from grapefruits i know i can like he's got like actual steam coming out of his ears right now so okay let's okay let's let's go back to the movies 
with our movie candy because we have a lot of follow-up from last the last pop. Oh yes, we. I mean, yeah. Jordan, our our office manager, or as we like to call her, the Jane of all trades yeah. in our office here, has put together actual graphs yes. that that tell us how much you guys, the listening audience, um, enjoy specific candies, uh, and they are broken down in an unbelievably remarkable manner here yeah um we've got some good data we have we have some really good data the the most popular candy um i believe well actually i don't know we have red bars and blue bars here okay i'm looking at the same sheet you are okay and the title of this graph is favorite and perceived favorite candies oh i see okay the red bar is i believe actually gosh i need to double check before i start saying things um let me let me let me look. Oh gosh, my Slack is going crazy. Okay, on our chart, the blue is the favorite and red is the perceived favorite. So what we were looking for, we were kind of looking for both answers. The perceived, we said in our last podcast, in the last pop, that the perceived, our perceived three favorite candies of Amer- in America were Reese's Cups, Snickers, and peanut M&Ms. Yes. But that was inaccurate according to our survey data. In fact, the perceived favorite candies by most people are Reese's, Snickers, and regular M&Ms. Regular M&Ms. Plain. However, then, and just this is just our own survey data, the actual favorite candy, despite the perception, is that the real favorite candies are... Reese's, peanut M&M's, and Kit Kats. Kit Kat! Came in third with Snickers at a very close fourth. Um, And for those of you at home who want to know what we're looking at, we will have these graphs in our show notes for today's episode. So be sure to go and check those out. Jordan did a fantastic job of putting these together. So how do you, I mean, I I don't really take issue with the idea that Reese's are both perceived to be the best and most people seem to, or their personal preference would indicate that Reese's is their favorite candy. There are a couple really interesting comparisons because many of the red and blue bars are pretty close. Okay. So yes, it is no surprise to me that Reese's are the perceived favorite and the actual favorite candy. Okay. At all. Like everyone loves a Reese's. It, dude, my favorite way to eat a Reese's is chilled. Oh, really? Yes, absolutely. Mm. By like a mile because, so I don't know what it is, but like at room temperature, uh, Reese's Reese's cups are like the complete opposite of M&M's, like melt in your mouth, not in your hand. Yeah. Right? Uh, Reese's at room temperature are actively melting. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, especially like if you go to peel it off of like the, <laughs> like the little, the little tray. Yeah. Um, like if, if it leaves some of its bottom, if it has a soggy bottom and leaves some of it on the paper, that's no good. I'm so disappointed. So disappointed. I'm so disappointed. So like what I would prefer to have is to have them chilled. And then when you, when you take them away, perfect breakage. Interesting. Yeah. So my favorite way to eat a Reese's when I was, I don't do it as much anymore because it seems like it gets a little messier for the aforementioned melting reasons. Yes. But I used to punch out the middle. Oh, you did? I would punch the middle out because there's a soft middle and there's a hard ring yeah yeah and i would punch it out and i would eat the middle and then i would eat the ring so i'm curious to know if other people have other ways that eat reese's maybe people bite into them like crazy people like crazy just people. straight at room temperature <laughs> oh, goodness me it just i mean just like... eat a grapefruit oh no, <laughs> no 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 don't i would never compare reese's to grapefruits reese's are amazing okay um the other thing i would want to know is reese's the reese's cup 
classic, already everyone's favorite. Yes. But almost everyone I've ever talked to would also agree that the, like, if I were to say holiday shape Reese's oh, yeah. are even better in most cases. Even betterer. Even indeed. betterer. Yes. Okay. Now, if it is shaped like a pumpkin yeah. or a Christmas tree. Or an Easter egg. Or an Easter egg. Yeah. It is a better Reese cup. Okay. Like, the ridges are what make Reese's iconic, and somehow they don't have to be there for it to be better. Yeah, I don't know what, what they're doing to make the holiday shapes better, but it is. I Like, somehow I almost think the ridges are actually holding it back. Do you know what the ridges actually, I think, look like? What do they look like? They look like what they are, Ben. And that's a crown. A crown. A crown. A, oh, yeah. because it is king candy. Because it is king candy. Oh, man. Now, okay. So I want to know from the people uh, and let us know on like Twitter or wherever, hashtag popcorn culture, what is the best holiday shaped Reese's candy? Because, man, they're so good. They're I, so okay. tasty. I, I, do, I do have an answer to that question, but I don't want to say it. Okay. Because I don't want to influence. You don't want to influence. Yes. So we'll we'll come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. But so what's really fascinating to me about this graph is that you, that Reese's is the clear winner for per- perceived favorite and also actual favorite. But is what other candies are perceived as being the next best thing. Yes. But are actually not. Which to me speaks to the extreme marketing of these candies. Like, you know? Like, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So as I'm looking at it here, like, um, so for example, uh, Reese's highest perceived and most favorite uh, in first place. But going down to fourth place yeah. is going to be Snickers, Snickers. where you're going to have the second highest perceived favorite, but fourth uh, in terms of actual, of actual favorite. favorite. And then plain M&M's being the third one, which I think is all the way down here at one, two, three four five six seven eight nine tenth tenth place third perceived highest favorite candy 10th actual favorite candy wow so i think that is that is definitely marketing um i do wonder how much influence we played in peanut m&ms coming in at the second mark i don't think we played any influence ben peanut m&ms are the best okay so how do you eat your peanut m&ms are you like an immediate cruncher do you like do you ever like sort of let the shell and chocolate like melt off in your mouth and then just like eat the peanut uh i i'm a cruncher you're a cruncher i go straight through because i want i want the candy oh yeah, yeah and the chocolate and the peanut all at once what's the best color they're all the same dang it i thought i was gonna trick you no it seemed like you were same. gonna say blue no uh Blue is the most, is the nicest looking one. No, green. No, Ben. Green. <laughs> Blue, I think, is the newest color of M&M. Is, okay, I want to know, uh, what is the most recently added new M&M color? Because as a child, and I have no idea if this is like Mandela effect, um, but I feel like I remember there being a period of time when we the people were voting for what new color was going to be added. I think we were. Because yeah. there was a dark brown and a light brown, and I think they were getting rid of the light brown M&M. Right. Why do you need two browns? <laughs> I, I don't know. Cho- chocolate is brown. Chocolate is brown, But maybe. one of them is not dark chocolate. It is just a dark colored light chocolate candy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is accurate, and I think the replacement color was blue. Hang on, hang on. What is the newest M&M color? Pink. No. No, but that's not a that's a, that doesn't come in a in yellow a bag. In a yellow in a in a peanut M&M bag. Um, hang on. I mean M&M's come in every color now. Right. No, if, yeah. If you but want like, it bad enough. Um, okay. At the M&M's Wikipedia article, if you search the word blue, it doesn't come up at all. 
That is surprising. There is there is no hang on. Okay, maybe it's because because there were categories that were that were closed. Okay. The original colors of the MM candies were red, yellow, violet, green, and brown. Violet. Violet. So they replaced that one. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's see here. In 1976, Mars eliminated red-colored M&Ms because of health concerns over the dye uh, amaranth red number two, which was a suspected carcinogen, and replaced them with orange M&Ms. That is, they must have obviously they've reintroduced red because the red M&M is like the top spokesperson. Like the, the, the mascot? For M&Ms. Okay, okay. In early 1995, this is Welcome to Popcorn Culture, where Ben and Jay read from Wikipedia articles. <laughs> the year that Forrest Gump won the Oscar. <laughs> Unanimously agreed upon. By everyone. By everyone. Eating their M&Ms, apparently. <laughs> right. With yeah, blue, yeah. it sounds like. Maybe. In early 1995, I was six years old. Ben Carlin, six years old. Mars ran a promotion in which consumers were invited to vote on which of blue, pink, or purple would replace the tan M&Ms. Blue was the winner with 54% of the votes. Wow, so everyone agreed on a lot of stuff that year. <laughs> People did. They were they like, were blue like... M&M's, Forrest Gump. <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> no questions asked. Let me tell you what else was no questions asked, Ben, was uh, chocolate candy versus fruit candy. Yes. And I will say, I want to, let me, let me double check it here. I want to say Starburst, was it Starburst? Just No, Skittles was high and away the favorite fruit candy but by no means does fruit candy even hold a candle to chocolate candy well hold on now hold on are are we are you overlooking starburst at the number three spot or is that not a number three spot based on my interpretation of this uh this graph i don't know what chart you're looking at i don't know yeah what i'm looking at is just favorite candies ranked where it goes Reese's, Peanut M&M's, Kit Kat, Snickers, Reese's Pieces, Milky Way, and then Skittles. Milky Way? Surprising to me, too. Interesting. And then how far down do we have to go from there before we get to another fruit candy? We have Toblerone, Twix, Play M&M's, Hershey's, which seems really high, um, Tootsie Rolls, Three Musketeers, and then Sour Patch Kids. Okay, I have to say that... Tootsie Rolls beating out Three Musketeers is more shocking to me than maybe some of the other data on here. It Tootsie looks, Rolls isn't even chocolate. It's not even chocolate. It's like Yoohoo. <laughs> it's like, this is chocolate drink. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's chocolate drink. It's like, not you, made from chocolate. Tootsie Rolls are chocolate flavored candy. To, oh, who would vote for Tootsie Rolls? Not me. No one. No one's ever gone up to the counter at the movie theater and been like, hey, give me a bag of Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> Not that I could think of. Okay, Yoohoo is an American brand of chocolate drink that was developed by uh, Natalie Oliveri. Uh-huh. Probably. <laughs> in New Jersey in 1928, it is manufactured by Keurig Dr. Pepper. As of 2019, the drink is primarily made from water, high fructose corn syrup, and whey. No chocolate. No chocolate. No chocolate. It is the Tootsie Roll of drinks. It is the Tootsie Roll of drinks, and Tootsie Roll is the Yoo-Hoo of candy. Oh my gosh. Simultaneously. <gasps> well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, for giving us your feedback on all of your favorite candies. Um, we asked you a question in this episode where we need feedback on it. I'm forgetting what that question was. Do you remember? It was a long time ago, Ben. <laughs> we asked people if they had ever uh, oh. had a fandom out, like, introduced someone to a fandom 
and then been ousted from it by the in- inductee. Inductee, yes. Okay, we need our own show notes for whilst we are recording these episodes. Yeah, we so should type stuff as we go. We should, we should. I wonder if yeah. the typing would be audible to the microphones. It might be um, a little. Yeah, well, anyway. Um. So yes, what we need to know, you can let us know at popcornculturepod at gmail.com whether or not you have ever introduced one of your friends to a new thing and their fandom or interest in that thing ultimately outweighed yours or vice versa if you basically um you know had so much more interest in something than someone else that it diminished their own interest like what happened with alice and i over harry potter um yeah so be sure to send us those emails tell us your stories um and otherwise thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the pop and for agreeing that grapefruits are terrible until next time bye pop pop